Now you hear it. When you're a child, you learn there are three dimensions. Height, width, and depth. Like a shoebox. Then later you hear there's a fourth dimension. Time. From Seattle, we're drinking the movies. I'm Taylor Baker. And I'm Michael Clausen. Ooh, that's nice and light and fruity and delicious. Very tasty. What are we drinking today? I don't remember the full title, unfortunately, as it was about three paragraphs long, but it ended in um, African Hazy IPA. From Hellbent Brewing Company, as usual. Delicious. And we're back with our rescreening segment of the show where we're taking a closer look at a single film instead of our usual three films or so. What are we talking about today? We are talking about David Cronenberg's A History of Violence, which is an adaptation of a graphic novel from the 90s, as I understand it. Additionally, when he selected this screenplay to adapt as a film, he had no idea that it was based on a graphic novel and has made some interesting comments such as, if he would have known, he likely never would have done the project. Oh, that's interesting. That gives you a sense of his uh, taste, perhaps. Mm-hmm. Yes. So this is our third rescreening episode. And as is the uh, motif or structure of these episodes, we will do a first impression of the next rescreening title, which is Michael. Steven Soderbergh's Side Effects. And look at how excited you were to say Steven Soderbergh yet again. How have things been going with you? I can finally sleep. I have some energy. We had sex. Whoever makes this drug is going to be rich. 911, what's your emergency? I need help. Someone's been murdered. There's been an incident. What do we do? No sign of forced entry. No sign of struggle. Where's her lawyer? She doesn't have one. Just kept talking about you. I don't understand why this is happening. You know her? Would you have treated her differently if she was a man? That's not what happened. And what is going on? I put her on a blixer. I don't think you should be my doctor anymore. I think she requires more observation. Someone gets punished. It's all gonna go away. It's gonna follow you around forever. I had no idea this was going on. Stop! You've been lying to her, and he was lying to me. I would never be here if it weren't for you. I want my life back! You know I'm not crazy. Everyone knows everything. Em, are you awake? <laughs> Destroy that before it destroys you. Michael, that was the trailer for Steven Soderbergh's Side Effects, illustrating a current pattern in our rescreening episodes, which is films with violence and um, complex, physically damaging sequences of sexuality, it would appear. That is true. I don't even remember if this was my pick or your pick. I think this was my pick. This was your pick. I think I chose this off your list or was this this was your pick so you on wrote my list. this down yeah. yes this was you this was all you and i, I was thrilled <laughs> yeah um i don't even really remember like why exactly this um had caught my attention when i was crafting my list of films that we could do for rescreening. but i'm very excited to revisit it it's been forever since i saw it back when it first came out i don't even remember it all that well it's just a film that's just been calling out to me wanting to be revisited um i, I love this cast rudy mara channing tatum um jude law ironically we're talking about cronenberg it kind of looks like a movie that cronenberg could have directed if he wanted to jude law um, was in a cronenberg film called existence yeah um I think it looks tight. I'm excited. How do you feel about revisiting this one? Uh, As a noted Steven Soderbergh fanboy, I feel thrilled. Um, It looks luxurious. It looks like he uses a lot of the cinematography um, stylings that we see him use in the girlfriend experience, which I found very interesting in these close-up interiors and those kind of 
luxury fantasy shots of the yacht on the water. Those are just a lot of things that he did in the girlfriend experience um, and that the show continued to do with uh, Riley Kiao as he served as executive producer. It also has some of those Nicks, the the Nick close-ups um, that he developed in 2014. Um, I'm thrilled and I can't wait to watch it. Should be fun. Today's podcast is presented by Podgo. Podgo is the easiest way for you to monetize your podcast. Providing podcasters with a flat rate for ad space so you always know how much you get when you include an ad from Podgo. We recently joined as members and you can too. Apply today to become a member and immediately be connected with advertisers that fit your audience. That's podgo.co at p-o-d-g-o dot c-o. On to a history of violence. They were going to kill us. You saved our lives. Hello, my hero. Tom Stahl is a family man with long-standing ties to this community. Right now, this community is rallying behind him and calling him a hero. Way to go, Tommy. Great, more reporters. You look like reporters. You're the big hero. Really don't like talking about it, sir. You sure took care of those two bad man. Joey. My name is Tom. It's Joey. You tell me. Sarah? Sarah? My daughter, where is she? What's going on, Dad? They thought they knew me. Thought I was somebody else. Nothing to worry about, Mrs. Stahl. I've been watching over. I don't know what you want, and I don't really care. You should care about what I want, because what I want might change your life. But why don't you ask Tom? And ask him, how come he's so good at killing people? A History of Violence came out in 2000. Five. It stars Viggo Mortensen, Maria Bello, William Hurt, Ed Harris, among others. Um, when did you first see this film? Back when it came out? Sometime recently? I believe I saw it the year that it came out or immediately when it came out on DVD. I subsequently loved it enough to purchase the DVD of it, mm. um, which I still have in my large dvd case and i forgot about until this title popped up um even though it wasn't my insistence we watched this i just forgot that i owned a copy and mm-hmm. repurchased the blu-ray for all the the fancy stuff with the the director's commentary and everything but i had really enjoyed this um when i was younger i remember being distinctly moved by the fact that i'd never seen adult passion depicted in the way that cronenberg does here with two married adults having consensual passionate sex um which is he actually discussed in the commentary which i found very interesting he brought it up himself it's the first time an american film has ever had two people doing 69 um apparently Mm. and he thinks it's true. He's not sure, but he'll take credit for breaking ground, uh, according to him. But his crowning achievement. I just remember the the realness of the passion. And when I was younger, you don't really see those types of films when you're growing up. And so to see legitimate passion that's complex, where identity is being wrestled with, as always is in a Cronenberg film, um, I think that's just one of those things that just enticed that that Freudian part of me. Hmm. Yeah, uh, I watched this back when it came out. I remember renting it. I might be repeating some of what I said back when we previewed this in our last rescreening episode, but um, I remember not being terribly enthused about it at the time. I remember just teenage me, I guess I would have been yeah, teenager, thinking it was a, not quite action-packed enough for my taste at the it time. It was no shoot 'em up dang no. it. There were no carrots and eyeballs. Correct. I... Uh, you know, you search this movie and you get phrases like action-packed thriller. I don't know that I would really describe it that way. Um, so Younger Me was maybe a little meh on it overall, but um, it's always been one that I've just felt like I um, would get more out of now, hence uh, the wanting to revisit it. And where are you on it now? I'm quite positive on it. There are some things that I, that I don't care for, but overall, I like this movie quite a bit. Um you know, ratings-wise, I'm giving it about a four out of five, maybe a three and a half. I'd probably go down before I'd go up, but I'm solid, um, solidly positive on it overall. So just to start there, what about you? I'm right there in line with you. Um, the first time I watched it, easy, four and a half out of five. Then I watched it again, and it just dropped down. Like, it, it most films, 
will drop down on subsequent viewings unless I truly love them, I think. Um, which is what's very interesting about doing this project is getting to see, with rescreening, getting to see multiple times the same film in context to a filmography from a director over the period of a month. Mm-hmm. And the more I've watched his other work, the more this seems like the turning point for me in his work. I have not seen M. Butterfly um, or Crash, but this to me seems like his most popular film that kind of was where he went away from body horror completely Mm -hmm. and began to experience more or experiment more with the mentality of identity and how horrifying and brutal um identity turns can be and Mm. and so while i'm very interested in where this is in his canon i came down on it i'm probably about a 76 Mm. which the way that i do my stars is four if i went down one it'd be a three and a half so i'm right there in lockstep with you i i appreciate this film greatly and vigo's performance but there's certain things that i just find materially degrading to the film like the Mm. quality of the adr from the sun Mm. Um, his, his work on the ADR is just absurd when you're watching the film and you're not caught up in the suspense of your first viewing and you're watching it again. It's very clear that he's doing ADR, that the mouth Mm. is not in sync with the words coming out. Sometimes Mm. it's closed with his back turn and you can see that his mouth isn't moving. And that's Mm. just, that's a problem. Yeah, uh, you landed on the one actor in this movie that I think I don't particularly care for uh, in a cast that I otherwise think is quite good. I think the acting is kind of a highlight of the movie for me. Um, so maybe just to get one nit out of the way, the uh, the character of the son I do think is one of the weaker elements, in my opinion. Um, yeah, not I- unlike um, the Ken Loach film that we recently covered, in which like oh, his whole yeah. storyline just kind of seems unnecessary the subplot with him and a bully he encounters at school smoking weed with his friend yeah uh it can feel a little tacked on i think he just kind of fails to elicit empathy for me in a scene like where he gets picked up by ed harris's character and his cronies and he's getting pulled out of the black car and he's sort of so when his back is turned then his mouth doesn't move and then in ADR, they have him swear and say, get your hands off me. Oh, nice. And that's just like, <laughs> That's frustrating. Uh, yeah, I don't know why I don't find myself particularly concerned for his safety in a scene like that, because... He's not la- acting nervous. For lack of a better word, I find him almost a little whiny. Like, mm-hmm. I don't I don't know if that's really the best word to describe it, but there's something just a little bit grating about um, the kind of melodramatic tenor of his performance that I think does not work. I, I felt that word and also felt that it was like mean to say, but I, I do think it's accurate. Like, especially in the ADR, you just get this whininess that I think if you could have had Jesse Eisenberg would have had the same type, but mm. quality acting perhaps in a non whininess. Yeah, for sure. Um, I guess idea-wise, to the extent that this movie is quote-unquote about violence and just the various sort of ways in which violence can play out, different kinds of violence, different meanings of the word, you know, that we get this subplot between him and a bully, I think thematically fits, um, and especially because we see him emboldened by his, his father's actions in a way, I think it kind of thematically makes sense. It is probably just one of the uh, less satisfying um, threads within the movie for me. I completely agree. But then I'm also like mm. interested in the shadows in the locker room, right? Like there's a little bit mm. of a, like an expressionism going on there that isn't going on in the rest of the film, really. Mm. Um, so although those asides and the entire plot I find pointless, there's artistic flourishes that Cronenberg mm. is always delivering that at least intrigue me during those moments that are extremely subpar especially in the context of his filmography this is such a unique film in the context of his filmography you watched quite a few films in relation to this um you watched this which is his first collaboration with vigo in which he did three in a row it was this film eastern promises and then a dangerous method and then he goes to cosmopolis which is his Mm -hmm. first collaboration with pattinson before a map to the stars 
And I, I think that by a map to the stars, there's a disillusioned criticism of contemporary culture, which is expressing itself in Cosmopolis. It's expression, expressing itself in existence. I think it's here too. It's mm. just, it doesn't feel sincere in the way that it feels when a project is not adapted off of another format. I think, I think that mm. being based on another format kind of corrupted the message here to begin with in mm. in a way that you know, that sounds mean or, or degrading, but I, I don't mean it. I just mean, like, it's probably a great graphic novel, and I don't know that it belongs mm. on screen. I don't regret that it's on screen. I just don't know that it belongs on screen. Yeah. Um, the scene with the son and a friend of his, a girl smoking on a street corner, you're right. Like, not really adding much to the story uh, on the whole. It does at least provide, or it does... Uh, have one of my favorite shots in the movie, which is when these criminals that we saw in the very first opening of the movie do return and the bully and these two guys like nearly have an accident. I do think that is a great shot and particularly because it's easy just to have kind of forgotten about those characters until they come crashing back in. Yes. Because um, you don't know that. if they're some people might have thought that that was the nightmare she was having mm. um, in the beginning. And so you might think that they're not real. Um, Back to that point, though, that opening roughly four minute shot, mm-hmm. one take, mm-hmm. very um, substantive. Like, I, I felt mm-hmm. like I became a viewer to a film. I, I no longer had questions. I just had watching. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I think that's one of the better introductions that he's ever done. And it goes against what he normally does, which is those like in the fly where there's the music and the the texture of lighting that's changing shades or maybe it's changing colors and you have your credits. Here mm-hmm. we have the opening credits over a, a slow, deliberate one take shot, which I found very, very satisfying. Awesome opening shot. Completely with you there. Um, for the movie to only go on and be quite graphic in the violence we see, I like that opening shot is uh, keeping it off screen. We see the aftermath of mm-hmm. it. Um, the bloody handprint on the counter. Yeah, and you know we see these guys come out of a door. The front office of the hotel they're at, it's only like 30, 40 feet away from the door they're coming out of. If there was a struggle, I feel like we, you would have heard it. Mm-hmm. Um, there's something kind of just chilling about the fact that there's there's no sound of what we then see has happened, which is, you know, this uh, receptionist and a maid has been uh, has been murdered. Um, really un- unsettling um, start that I think really just kind of lingers over the first stretch of the movie. Yeah, on rewatch, I can't tell if that happened the night before or not. Mm, that could be because he gets in the car and says there was a problem with the maid and i wonder when that problem occurred just based Mm. on hearing things because we can hear the cicadas in the background which ostensibly indicate that this is a previous struggle not a current struggle but then that blood didn't seem congealed and you know it's you know you can only demand so much of a film i suppose but i definitely was curious yeah yeah um and on the topic of those two particular characters who kind of just set things in motion, but then ultimately, you know, aren't vital to where the narrative um, ends up. Uh, how do you how do you respond to the involvement of those characters? Very highly after mm. hearing the commentary mm. that informed me of who they were, mm. um, that the younger one had just gotten out of prison. The older one was his uncle coming to pick him up. Oh, wow. Detail. Um, they needed to get money. Um, yeah, and apparently the actors created that backstory for themselves, and then Cronenberg mm. adapted it and made it part of the, the film, though it's a silent part. Um, and they were just going to get some money on the way to where they were going. And mm. um, they picked the wrong place to get coffee and rob, you know? That they did. Um, I guess one motif that will... In, inform everything that we're going to have a conversation about is this is clearly a statement, a examination of Americana post, you know, the height of America in the 1960s when these American dreams and illusions were created. Um, we recently watched a numerous amount of classics from directors such as Mervyn Leroy, 
Preston mm-hmm. Sturgis and John Huston. Within those films, there are diners, very mm-hmm. similar to the Stahl Diner. Those diners are robbed, very mm-hmm. similar to the Stahl Diner. To me, this is very much um, a film that is informed by the previous history of film in making um, clever allusions to motifs that exist within film history. And that's mm-hmm. where I found the film to be the most interesting that it became. Mm. I completely agree. And I think I get more out of that in the first half of the movie than the second half, where Agreed. it feels like this American, I this, this this idyllic American experience is disrupted by something out of this guy's past. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas the final third, I would say, is pulp thriller. I think some of the signifiers about American experience sort of uh, fall away in the final act, I guess. Yeah, it's almost like reverse, um, God, the Naked City. Like, it's the reverse mm-hmm. of the Naked City in which our our villainous hero does not get away with murder. Mm-hmm. Um, here, he gets away with massive amount of murder. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it would seem. You know, it ends on a um, hopeful note, silently, while they're having dinner. Yeah, yeah, um, which is sort of a hopeful note, but not exactly a upbeat no finale <laughs> it's it's upbeat for a moment when they open when he opens the door and the son and maria bello react to the door being open um and then like it's it's cute when the daughter gets up and sets the the table and she has the knife facing like as opposite the way that it could possibly face properly mm-hmm. there's just something cute and and familial about that that seems like the same family that was comforting her in the beginning from her nightmare all in the same bed is about to come back and and to me the visual language of that it is where cronenberg exists and has continued to exist as just a visual master of informing you through passive um things that just are are facts when you look at them yeah, yeah, and I think idea-wise, it it definitely works for me just in displaying the difficulty in accepting someone uh, when they aren't who uh, you thought they were. Like, I think that's a really simple kind of theme um, that it, it executes in that final shot quite well. Um, so, yes, uh, I, think th- I think it's a strong finish. Yeah, I think... Um the idea of accepting someone for not who they are um, mm. starts before that, even with Maria Bello, mm. um, when she knows that he's Joey. And specifically that um, second scene of sexuality in which they have sex on the stairs. And, you know, it's a very fraught scene. You know, there's a lot of early criticism about the film that, that claimed that it was a rape scene. But if you watch it, it's very clearly a complex sexual thing, which doesn't really exist in film once again. And I I know when I was younger, I was like, what is going on? And now it's like, it's one of those scenes that seems the most fascinating that it was smuggled into a project like this. Because apparently it wasn't in the graphic novel originally. She had just gone upstairs. And in it, um, like he behaves kind of abhorrently he hits her and pins her to the stairs grabs her throat and kisses her and then stops himself and backs away and then she grabs him and brings him back in Mm. and it's that grabbing him and bringing him back in that make it so complex and interesting and i'm i mean getting into the how the sausage is made apparently they shot for a whole day and both Mm. of them were just covered in bruises Oh, I believe it. Uh, it doesn't look like a comfortable experience. It does not. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think the movie's always kind of making some statement about violence, you know, in, in various scenes. Violence can be random. Uh, violence can be heroic. And I think that's one of the more maybe provocative suggestions, which is that violence can be arousing. Mm-hmm. Um, er- erotic. Yeah, for sure. Um, which, you know, is just to each his own in that scene. I, I think I completely understand someone not going for it. I think that is just uh, taste and sensibility related. Absolutely. But I, I do think it's it's a deeply human scene. I, I think that's one of the things about Cronenberg is his body horror. There's something deeper happening 
there with the statements that he's making almost always there's something more about the human condition, the human experience, the human past, right? This is a history of violence. It's not talking about the history of your species, Mm. but at work is the history of your species, which is a violent species, is a warring species. And um, I I think that the psychological truths of our violence as as a species depicted in these characters is what makes this film... In, in the end, interesting, and all of his projects are similar in that way, I think. Yeah, I think uh, in different directions, he kind of likes to just push the limits of what's comfortable, and I think mm-hmm. this is one that's sort of interesting for how it kind of straddles the like feeling of a mainstream dramatic thriller with something that's a little more idiosyncratic, and whether it's the graphic violence when you're seeing someone knows get just destroyed or the sort of jarring um sexuality in that scene i think that's where you know mainstream audiences that would respond to many other things would find themselves maybe taken aback a little bit yes i Uh, i completely agree i i remember some of the criticism at the time about that which is probably why i was interested in the film because anytime mm -hmm. someone says don't watch something because of this reason I say I have to watch it because someone said not to for this reason. Yeah, that's just who I am, and um, I, I think with these speci- these Cronenberg films, kind of in a in a row, starting from when he began to get bigger studio funding and releasing in theaters, um, they they start from this low budget body horror, exploding bodies. Um, people getting decapitated or ripped apart or um, vivid stuff wounds separate from the body um, and attached into more mindful criticisms of society. And this is that weird place in between project wise where he hasn't moved all the way to psychology. A dangerous method comes later, which is literally a psychological mm-hmm. film about Freud and Jung. Mm-hmm. But then his, his last film that he's made up to this point was a map to the stars in which John Cusack plays like a total bullshit therapist. Who's actually Mm -hmm. like kind of a terrible person in that he stayed married to his sister Uh and is, um, kind of doing that thing that we see in the brood with, uh, Julianne Moore with like making her say those types of words that are said in the brood and, blaming everything on people that aren't herself um which is like like it is freudian in a sense but it's also totally against the point that freud was making about like Mm. personal ownership and i think that his his evolution really took place during this film and it's just so interesting to see the first two thirds work so well in the last third to like i i don't know how how you would really break it down but basically after the stair scene, everything just seems kind of bullshit. Yeah. I mean, I'm still entertained. Like, I think the craft holds up for me through everything with William Hurt and the climax. But I do think thematically it becomes a little less rich. It's like it's, a, I don't know. For me, it was amusing and campy on rewatch. Yeah, it, it wasn't unpleasant Hurt. to view. But it was campy. It was, it was absurd. It was... The, this is a mob family that isn't actually Italian. Um, mm. I learned in the commentary that he decided to make them um, Irish, mm. which there's, I I don't know how easy that is for me to buy into. Um, it's not. It's not easy. I do know. It's not <laughs> easy for me to buy into at all. I just have a hard time believing in the logistics of the film after a certain point. And that's where my deeper criticism of the film comes, um, other than the son's performance. Yeah, I would agree. After a certain point, it's just about, uh, it's just about the bloody violence after a certain point, which is fine. It's, it's entertaining enough for me, but, um, yeah, it's, you know, structurally like kind of reverse revenge story in the, the sense that we're usually, we're used to revenge stories being about our protagonist exacting, his revenge on somebody. And in this case, it's really about William Hurt's character and this group discovering him, realizing he's still there and them trying to exact their revenge on him. Mm -hmm. Um, And that sort of 
revenge element with the strong silent dad really leads me to put this more in the like category of movies like taken like i think this is sort of an interesting Mm. precursor to like the dad the violent dad genre um like if this was made in 2020 liam neeson could very easily be cast in this role um and i don't know i feel like it would have been easier for him when he was younger to do exactly the age-wise, logistics. perhaps I guess I don't know how old Liam Neeson is. Yeah, if now, he if but, he would have uh, been viewed the way he is now, contemporarily, mm-hmm. I I totally agree with that. Yeah, the the dad idea, fair enough. The American dad protecting his family with a violent past, capable of more than people thought he was. Like that seems um, that that idea. While this feels Cronenbergian in a way, in its aesthetics, feels like a very sort of like american mainstream idea mm-hmm. um which just struck me as interesting um and in that sense is sort of anomalous within cronenberg's filmography even though it feels like his in other ways yeah um totally off on a tangent do it if this is good we'll go with it um i don't feel comfortable using the word surrealism with him at all because everything is so matter of fact but there isn't like an unrealistic quality to his films where they're embedded in realism, but you're also willing to accept everything that's unreal about them. And I, I think that part of that here is like that the town doesn't really seem legitimate, mm-hmm. um, that the artifice of the family doesn't feel entirely whole. Um, one thing that I reflected on after watching A Map to the Stars after I'd watched this the first time was that I'd never seen until A Map to the Stars that I recall a Cronenberg film in which there's a pet. I subsequently then watched The Fly recently in which he does have two laboratory testing baboons that are also maybe pets, but it feels very weird for a family of four with all this property to not have any pets. And Mm. I think that there's just these little things, um, whether they're deliberate or not, that feel unreal, but also don't separate you from believing in the film. Um, He, he straddles a weird line that I don't quite know how to define. And I find very, very interesting artistically. Yeah. Um, I think I could see that an example that maybe comes to mind for me is when, Tom Vigo's Vigo Mortensen's character walks into his diner for the first time and his co-worker is relating a dream to a client about or not a dream he's relating his experience with a past girlfriend who wife um or maybe it was a wife that's how the story ends the girlfriend was a wife right for six years who had who had night who had violent nightmares and woke up one night Mm -hmm. and actually stabbed him with a fork Mm -hmm. um there is something and blood spurt everywhere yeah, uh, like, I would, I, I can understand someone maybe calling that a little on the nose and being another little comment about some kind of violence in a movie that is about violence in many ways. But um, it also is sort of striking in this, like, little quaint American town to have this little strange kind of anecdote mm-hmm. um, as he's walking into work for the day. Um, another bit that I think I could see falling under this sort of unreality that you're talking about. It's a little strange. Like, you can't separate him from the genre idea of realism, but there's also something inherently unreal, right? Like, Videodrome Wall, extremely realistic Mm -hmm. and embedded in realism, is also embedded in unrealism. I think Existence Mm -hmm. is the exact same, personally. Um, And... That motif, it's in his work all the way back in stereo, in in which you're supposed to put on your own personal piece of audio, whatever you prefer while you watch this film that is kind of about the same psychological supposings, but in like a student film format that's very low budget. Um, he, he's just one of those curious directors that doesn't really have a way to tell a story that is commercial which I also find deeply appealing. Like, he's not a commercial director by any means. This is his most commercial film, and we have mm-hmm. all these reasons for why it's not commercial, um, which seems um, 
I don't know, substantive and, and of value to me. Yeah. Um, I would think maybe the fly would be the next most commercial, despite being so kind of wild and in, in its practical effects and it just being kind of a gross out kind of appeal. Um, I think that was one that did have quite, uh, I think that did, was quite it successful. Had, commercially, it had a right? large amount of commercial success, but. Like, if, if I told you that Hereditary was a commercially successful film, you'd be like, wait, what? Like, just based yeah, on yeah. synopsis, I think The Fly is the same thing, where it just hit a cultural moment in which it it was able to succeed because of a, a bunch of different factors that are unpredictable. But I, I think mm-hmm. that as a director, he didn't seek to make something commercial. It accidentally succeeded in the commercial format. Yeah, I would agree. Um yeah, cast-wise, we have covered who we did not care for. Um, standouts, otherwise, in, in terms of who you did like or or what you did like. I think Maria Bello's doing an incredible amount of work, and then anytime Viggo Mortensen's in anything, I'm always content and happy with his performance. Um, just the way that he holds his shoulders differently, the way that he can do two different accents, um, contort his face, um behave as if he took damage somewhere um he's he's a wonderfully expressionistic actor with his body yeah i would agree um it was kind of a relief to me that you know he is the kind of upstanding american family man but he's not exactly the strong and silent type yes he is kind of uh a man of few words but there's also kind of a softness to him like he seems very kind and very gentle very humble like i Mm-hmm. Don't think like this is the kind of guy who's going to be talking about himself in any way. If you had him over for dinner, um, I think uh, you go further into the mainstream, you find these kinds of American male heroes that lack that same kind of just humility that you just sense in like his body language, um, which I think is sort of a nice contrast with how kind of tough Maria Bello's character is. And she has a little bit more... Um, uh, maybe not more, but she is very um, self-confident. Um, mm-hmm. I think, I don't know, I think there's... Expressive, loud, n- non-quiet about how she's feeling and in what she thinks. Exactly. Like, uh, I think there's just something about how believable to me that, um, they are as a married couple um, and what they, and the extent to which they care about their kids. And I think... While this is about him being violent, I could see her being the first one to protect their kids in a different situation just because of how kind of um, vigorous she is in her personality and versus his a little his being a little bit more reserved. Um, I don't know. I just think there's sort of an interesting complement of temperaments between them that's very convincing as a married couple. I completely agree, but also have a hyphen slash point parentheses in in which i i would say that um tom does tom stall is all of those things however joey is not Mm -hmm. and i think that tom and that personality within this film exist in relation directly to maria bello's character you say that you believe that she would protect them i say there's physical evidence in the film of her arriving back home without having had any conversation with a fucking restraining order against Ed Harris. Mm -hmm. And I say, you know, maybe she wouldn't wield a gun first, but she'll go use the law to protect her family before even asking no second thoughts about it, which is very assertive in the opposite of the Tom that we get to know. Um, But then there's Joey who seems like he might, be a chatterbox when he's well lubricated or Mm. when he's in the middle of asserting his dominance through violence in any situation. Um, It doesn't necessarily seem like he's loud, but it doesn't seem like he has the same um, qualities of conversation and being limited that Tom does. And um, I, I think that that's kind of, that gets at something deeper in all of, Cronenberg's films in which characters aren't just one thing in the brood the the mother character isn't just a mother um she's a different type of mother um with psychic control um Mm -hmm. right in a map to the stars um 
Mia Wasikowska isn't just a girl who almost accidentally killed her famous little brother. She is the daughter of incest who Mm. then brutally murders Julianne Moore with a statue that um, was earned for, you know, being fake very well, essentially. Mm -hmm. There's uh, a biting criticism about the duality of people in all Cronenberg films. I most eloquently illustrated by there's never been a insect politician, right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, And I think a little bit about uh, this theme to me about maybe not in all of the films, but in some of them like this or the fly kind of about the limits of love. And when you realize someone isn't who you thought they were, or you see them transform, or you understand that they've transformed how that does sort of challenge your, um, understanding or your affection from them, those aren't exactly the right words, but I think about, you know, Gina Davis's character, mm-hmm. um, still very much loving Jeff Goldblum, uh, despite this viscerally ugly transformation he's going through, um, and him desperately reaching out saying, help me be human. And that being very, very, very difficult. And that, you know, it's maybe a stretch, but I, I feel like there's a, sh- a shared theme there between that and something like this with his family struggling to accept um, what transformation their uh, a family, a member of their family has gone through and that they never knew about. Um, I don't think that's a stretch at all because that's the same thing in The Brood. That's, yeah, that's yeah, the yeah. same thing in Eastern Promises when um, the behavior doesn't match up who the person's supposed to be specifically in the case of um, Naomi Watts's interactions with Viggo Mortensen in which he's supposed to be this thing, but then whenever no one's around, he's behaving like someone who isn't this thing that they should be. Mm-hmm. Um, and then a, a dangerous method is, you know, extremely complex. Um, I won't even begin to go into that, but Cosmopolis, we see the duality from one side of, of the road to the other on the way to get a haircut. Mm. Um, and how memory and all that stuff can affect your behavior, which is another theme that's explored again in A Map to the Stars. Yeah, I think Co- it's everywhere. Cosmopolis is like one long, slow, weird transformation to a bad haircut. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it sounds sp- kind of like now. It does. I remember <laughs> thinking that, that this was, this, that felt a little too close to reality. Um, I will say that I think the pivot point here where we go from there being a little bit of mystery to his past, to him actually owning up to it with Maria Bella when he's in the hospital. Mm-hmm. I don't know why I feel like that moment falls a little flat in terms of that being sort of uh, the turning point of the film. He sort of just kind of confesses, and she has this sort of violent, sickening reaction to it, which I don't totally buy. Um, if it makes I feel you bad. feel better, that was her decision. Really? Mm-hmm. And then they built built the bathroom just for her to do that because she decided Mm. that's what the character would do. And I think that is justifiable uh, logically. I can imagine someone having a violently sickening reaction to it, but I don't know that the performance totally works. And I just feel like that turning point is a little lacks a little force somehow when he just says, I thought Joey was gone. I think it feels like a missed opportunity. What about you? I think that I completely agree with what you're saying with the caveat that it works the first time or it works when you don't remember the movie. But as soon as you rewatch it with the context of knowing the film, there's an issue there. There just is. It's forced. It's trying to force a point that is naturally arrived at without having that there so you're hitting the nail too many times you're denting the wood at this point and um normally that's not something cronenberg does so it is especially obvious that it's a miss and that it's Mm. not his style i agree the one thing i like about that and that is sort of an element of the movie i like is in the dialogue lines where he says something like, you know, I spent three years trying to get rid of Joey. I went out to the desert and thought I had gotten rid of him. All these lines that kind of allude to these other parts of these characters' histories that we never really get details about. It's mm-hmm. all just very suggestive and sort of ambiguous. And I find that very rich and sort of interesting because it just f- sort of fills out this picture in your head about what these people uh, have done, might have done. Um, that's kind of unusual, I think, for this 
genre that in some ways is mainstream to throw out some uh, suggestions about what these people have done at different points in their life that we never get any closure on. I completely agree, but you just brought up something that I have to ask you. What genre would you say this film is in? Probably dramatic thriller is how I would describe it. What about you? Um, well, let me first say that I thought that you were alluding to comic book films oh, in oh. general. And I was like, the, yeah, it's very nuanced for mm. like them to make a, a reference to things that aren't going to be in a oh, sequel. Oh, I see. I see. I can um, see that. Yeah, I would say this is, um, geez, uh, uh, more of a thriller first and then a, a piece of um, drama slash eroticism second. I guess mm-hmm. um, I, I find it most interesting when it's doing its examinations of Americana. But I mean, if you're going to label the film, you have to label it for its throat stomps and its um, <laughs> nose smashes. Uh, well, since you did mm-hmm. not watch any of the commentary or special features, it sounds like mm-hmm. one thing I will say is scene 44 was cut and scene 44 was a scene in which um, Vigo is having a nightmare slash dream where he's at work at Stahl's Diner and Ed Harris sits down and says, I'm going to kill you with sunglasses Mm. on. And he shoots him. He picks up a shotgun and shoots him in the chest. Mm. His chest explodes. Classic um, David Cronenberg style. Um, Think like Videodrome when the chest cavities open Mm. and the gun disappears. Um, And he walks up to him on the floor and there's just this oozing ribby bone open hole mess. Um, and they chose to remove that from the film. So there was originally mm. the Cronenberg gore, and he chose to mm. remove it for the project. And um, I guess my whole point here was mm. like, this is where I see that shift. And mm. I shot it, but I don't want it in here. Let's pull mm. back. And mm. then just pulls back every single film subsequently following this from mm. my perspective. Like, I, I think that. Brood and the Fly and Videodrome and Existence are so wholly different in their body horror than these films, but the films that this film and the films that follow still have the body horror present. There's still an element of terror in what's going to happen to Paul or Robert in Cosmopolis. Um, there's a scene in the Russian baths in Eastern Promises that is an extended violence scene with fucking knives, and Viggo Mortensen is naked fighting two leather-clad Russian agents with knives. He's hanging full dong. And it is terrifying to watch that fight scene because it's terrifying to watch someone fight naked. It just, it hits that human level. And so I think he still has the body whore, but he goes to a totally different um, visual communication of it. And Mm. I I feel like this is the film where that transformation took place because I've Mm. seen Existence immediately previous to it which is you know very much about body horror yeah it certainly sounds like that scene had it been included would have been the most visceral image in the film and i can appreciate some restraint on that front because it would only to some extent have diminished the other graphic images that we do get that are you know arguably unnecessary but leave an impression like when we cut to the criminal who Vigo has shot in the diner and his cheek is just shredded absolutely yes. shredded but you it's know, the shredded part that. is facing down so you can't see mm-hmm. as much of it it's absolutely. there there's blood pulling you can see some shredding but it's not as in your face as it would have been in 1989 to 1994 it seems yeah um and that's you know just judgment that a director has to choose like do you go a little bit bigger and risk having those other shots um become a little more forgettable because you've upped the ante Mm -hmm. um i i can appreciate having shot that scene which could not have been easy and then decided no i want them to remember the scene where vigo destroys this guy's nose because that was also quite brutal yes yeah i think there's something about this film that wouldn't work with dream sequences I, it it yeah, would yeah. limit the reality and the, the tangible fun. Like, I would question whether or not anything is real if they introduce that dream quality to it, I think, especially from Vigo's character. I agree. I like it staying firmly in uh, non-dreamland. Um, David Cronenberg has what I think is one of the most delicious quotes that has ever graced 
um, the world. Your ears? Through my ears especially, <laughs> but all readers' ears and listeners' ears at this point. He, this is paraphrasing. I don't have it exactly how he said it, but he essentially said two people in a room. That's all. Two people in a room is the primordial ooze of cinema. Mm. It's the hardest thing to do, and it's the most base thing to do. But without it, you don't have cinema. And I, I think that reflecting on this film, that is absolutely true. It's mm. the two people in a room, and it doesn't have to be a room, but it, you know, that that essentially works in its dynamic quality. Whether you're looking at the end with the absolutely farcical moment of. William Hurt holding his keys to open the door and the door opening and him getting shot in the head. That's just two people in a room, essentially, in an entryway. Maria Bello and Vigo, two people in a room. Um, him and his son, two people in a room. There's, those are the moments that define cinema and I think define his um, filmography in, in being what it is. It's those two people in a room moments with candy and her father in the brood where mm. he's trying to console his daughter and and take these photos of her back that's been beaten by her mother but he can't tell her what happened or, or get it out of her it's those intangibles that um that i think really make cronenberg's work sing yeah for as much of a mark as the violence the physical violence itself can lead i think some of my favorite scenes are ones the ones with ed harris where he's just repeatedly insisting that he is Joey Cusack and he keeps calling him Joey at the end of every sentence. Uh, and the charge in those moments is so real and, and vivid. And, and those I think are um, some of the most striking moments in the movie. Um, especially when it's between him and Maria Bello at the mall. Mm-hmm. Um, and that just kind of ominous threat he poses um, I think is is super compelling, and I love that line he gives towards the end of that encounter where she's come out of a shoe store and he says, "Don't forget your shoes" mm-hmm. or something like that. Um, I mean, she's walking away and he says, "Don't forget yeah. your shoes." Sometimes the violence here is limited to a shot or two. I could easily do without it and be fine because I think those moments really kind of have a an unease to them that are that are that's very rich yeah there's a there's a pulpy atmosphere to it there's there's bubbling lava you know it might be Mm -hmm. cooling but there's still the the lava underneath that that is terrifying because you don't know if he's going to pull out a gun and shoot her daughter in the middle of the mall or not and the fact Mm -hmm. that you don't know and nothing happens just makes you more nervous because nothing Mm -hmm. happened yet Absolutely. Uh, and I think that dispels a little bit once we actually arrive at William's Hurt, William Hurt's place. It just feels like we're in genre territory at that point. Um, Which genre? Just a weirder one, I guess. Yeah. Um, a disappointing one. That world feels a little more stilled off kind of once you step in the house. Um, it just it, it just feels like we've shifted gears a little bit and it's it's just the, the, the it pulp entertainment. It almost seems plasticky to me. Like there's there's an unreal like I just can't believe that they are where they are in a weird way where like I as much as I don't like the film Knives Out I think that I absolutely believe that I'm in that manse Mm. in Knives Out I didn't feel like I was actually at this location Mm. which is weird because I that's like one of the only times that's happened and I just watched a lot of David Cronenberg films back to back to back this Mm -hmm. is the one and only time that I think I can say that yeah um yeah, I don't know if it's just kind of the the size of the shift in where we have been versus where we end up, which is this this town that we spend so much time in is so quaint in its American feel to then end up in this sort of ritzy mansion where Williams hurts his clothes even kind of feel a little off to me. There's something about it, like what he's wearing that looks a little cheap in contrast to where he's living, which is odd to me. That's just a random nit, I guess. Um, I don't know that it totally works at the same time. I'm kind of entertained by it. So I can't find myself uh, knocking it too much. I think I may be sounding more negative than, you know, compared to how I really just very easily watch that finale. Yeah. I guess I would say that 
I felt like I was in a serious drama and then I felt like I was watching John Wick and I didn't like when I felt like I was watching John Wick the second time, but the first Mm. time it's fun. The Mm. second time when I'm, I'm just there for the the film experience and to try to pick up on nuances. Not much nuance there. There was not. And this is an interesting movie in that there's very little nuance. Like there's, Everything you see the first time is kind of all there is to see, which Agreed. isn't a bad thing. Um, I think that this is one of the first times that, where I've like witnessed that. I can guarantee that there's nothing more than what you see. And this is one of those things where there's nothing wrong with that in this case. Now, there's other films, other directors in which that would be absolutely true. But I think that with Cronenberg here, there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. And if you go back and watch his earlier films, there is a lot more that you can see on repeated viewing. But I think with The Fly, there probably isn't. You're really not going to mm. get anything new out of watching The Fly if you've just watched it. Mm. You're not going to pick up on any certain thing, you know. Um, mm. You might have missed something, but you're, you're not going to pick up on something new and intangible that's informative the way that you would by rewatching The Brood, maybe, or Existence, mm. or um, A Dangerous Method, or Cosmopolis, in which there might be lines of dialogue that Robert Pattinson's delivering that you just don't quite let seep into you. And then after knowing where the film ends up, you go, oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I agree. I don't think I discovered anything on second viewing. Um that I didn't pick up on the first time, I would completely agree. I think certain things remain equally enjoyable, um, whether it's just, you know, compelling performances and, and the craft that is just kind of inherently kind of off kilter that I mm-hmm. really respond to. But there is only so much to peel back, I would agree. Yeah, unsettling is cool, but there's not too much further, especially in this project. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess, do you have a favorite scene? Um, I think I like the scenes with Ed Harris the most. Um, I kind of like, like, I think I heard that William Hurt was nominated for Best Supporting he was. Actor for this role. Mm-hmm. Um, I personally prefer Ed Harris's role in this much more than what William Hurt does. Um, I like the interaction between him and Maria Bello at the mall because of how that just sort of suggests some things about her character and her, you know what she would do to defend her kids. I think there's just some, some passion to that performance that I really like. And he is only digging into his chilling effect there. Um, I like that confrontation. I'll go with that one. What about you? Uh, I think that I'll go with the scene that I already described pretty much in detail in which um, Joey is fully a character at this point that Maria Bella is aware of and Um, He chases her up the stairs, which was added by David Cronenberg, and then they proceed to have the most complex sex that I've really seen in film that's consensual. Picking the sex scene. Yeah. I like it. Yeah. Because just performance wise, I mean, no padding, those stairs, quite the performance from those actors, but just the cinematography and the nuance um, to tell that part of the story there. I think that without it, there's a, there's a whole piece of these characters that just doesn't work. And that just informs everything with her desire for him and her disgust in herself immediately after the act. That's um, just so rich and so unique. And um, I, I just really appreciate that. I like it. I'll ask one arguably arguably a little bit more of a frivolous question but the title itself i'm a little mixed on i think even including the word violence in the title kind of undermines a little bit of the fun in letting us decide for ourselves the ways in which this is about violence do you have any feelings about that i think that a history of violence is a really good marketing title i think it Mm. it's very very marketable um which is something that i wouldn't say cronenberg just passively is um but i don't i don't totally dislike it um it informs me of violence if anything i expected more violence yeah i would agree um but i don't know that i i have a good read on a different um title like 
you know, stalling out in America. <laughs> yeah, I, I have no alter- alternate suggestions, that's for sure. Um, it's just one of those things where it's so tempting to say that this movie is quote-unquote about violence. To just give that to us right at the get-go seems like a, a, a misstep, maybe, um, for a movie yeah. that's... And maybe the history didn't go deep enough. There's a lot of angles to take. I think that... it. All in all, I don't think it's a bad title. I think they could have done better, but I can't off the top of my head. I cannot either, so I guess I shouldn't complain. I'll go with it. On to side effects? On to side effects. And that's another one in the can. Now you don't. <laughs>